who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 3. Karel Hashek watched with one perfectly crinkled eyebrow as Vladimir spread the contents of his satchel on his desk, early morning light painting them with a softness that, having failed, they didn't deserve. Molten tangle of copper wiring, Crystal fragments, a bundle of herbs or flowers, singed beyond recognition, a chunk of quartz. Vladimir snapped the satchel closed, then crossed his hands before him, waiting for his boss to speak. What? Karel asked. That's it? That's all we recovered from the alley where we located it, sir. Vladimir's thick fingers clenched around the satchel straps, I suspect that whoever dismantled it most likely took the rest with them. Whoever? Whoever? Corell raked a hand through his dark curls. And who, pray tell, do you think is capable of dismantling such a construct? Vladimir's throat bobbed. He looked around the study, half afraid the rest of their coven might pour out of the shadows at any moment. The, the ice, sir? Yes, yes, the ice. But what are they doing in Prague? Karel shoved away from the desk and began to prowl, pacing in long strides. When was the last time they bothered to track down the hosts on their own? All they seem to care about is interrupting our work, Vladimir said. Always we must stay two steps ahead, Vladimir. Never be the one to pursue. 
What good is it doing the Soviets to chase after the Americans, after all? Kennedy said he wanted a man on the moon, and the Soviets poured all their funds into trying to beat them there. No, too late. They tried to squash our spirit here, in Prague, but by tamping out one fire, they ignited a dozen others. So it will be for the ice. Vladimir studied the map pinned up behind Corel's desk. Hand-drawn, centuries old, the political boundaries embarrassingly outdated. But the stark diagonal lines formed an uneven grid that never budged. Whatever they accomplished with the ritual, with all of the hosts bound together as one, that grid would remain, ready to serve them, an endless power source for their endless reign. But they have our host, Corel continued. Vladimir cleared his throat. We cannot be certain of that. If we can identify the host through what remains of the construct, we might be able to locate him or her through more conventional means. Hmm, perhaps. Corel plucked up one of the crystals, turning it over in his fingers. A splinter of darkness lingered at the center. Vladimir couldn't remember if it had been there before their ritual or not. Or, at the very least, we might locate these ice interlopers. That could be far more valuable in the long run. Vladimir blinked a few times, then forced himself to nod, even as he was trembling inside. Naturally, sir. But, but in the meantime... What shall I tell the others? Tell them we'll need to conduct a new ritual sooner than we anticipated. I'll check the charts, the almanac, but I think there are several auspicious times ahead. Corel grimaced. It would be better if we could gain access to the confluence beneath Barvodnar. The one the Reims woman owns? Vladimir asked. His shoulders rolled back as he stood up straighter. I think we might have a solution to that. Corel seized his coat from the rack and swung it on. Heavy tweed, a fine English cut, something from before the tanks rolled in. Then see to it. He pulled on his cap. I have a lecture to give. Three. CIA Prague Station was born out of an architect's mistake. The embassy building that housed the station was a sharp Georgian beauty curled around a tree-strewn courtyard, and its large, third-floor chambers might, in a distant aristocratic past, have been drawing rooms or libraries or studies. Not that Gabe knew the difference between the three. Those rooms, the few times Gabe had been inside them, demonstrated that the architect knew how to produce a decent space. Light filled the chambers from their plush carpeted floors to their high ceilings, and pale blue plaster walls created a flawless illusion of openness, which, of course, rendered them utterly unsuited for intelligence work. But between and behind those chambers, now repurposed as filing rooms or meeting halls or public offices, tangled a warren of coffin-sized rooms where two grown men would have to exhale to pass abreast. Improbable cul-de-sacs, doors built for hunchbacks, 
S-curve crawl spaces with ceilings that belonged on a submarine, opening onto oddly cornered cubby holes twice as tall as any room in the rest of the house. All windowless, of course, even the one room large enough to stash four officers' desks side by side. They'd been servants' quarters once, or storage, meant for heavy use by people the building's proper residents preferred to ignore. Which, come to think, remained an apt description. They'd carved a window for Frank's office during renovations, a smoked glass slit broader on the inside, like an arrow loop. That had been their one concession to design or comfort, a status symbol and a generous allowance for the chief of station. When Gabe first arrived in Prague, he had imagined they made the window narrow for security reasons. But today, he thought there might have been a different sort of foresight involved. Granted, he'd put on weight since his college days, but even in football trim, he wouldn't have been able to throw himself out of that gap. Franklin Drummond had killed seven men with a shovel in a foxhole in Korea. Gabe knew this, as did everyone in Prague Station, even though Frank never told the story, and no one else did either. Secrets of many kinds moved around and through Prague Station, and some you learned just by breathing in. Today, that story Gabe had never heard was impossible to forget. Sit, Frank said when the door closed, and take me through it one more time. I'd rather stand, sir, if it's all the same to you. It is not all the same, Frank said, his voice tightening and tensing as he circled the desk. It is not all the same, because one of us has a leg missing, and that one of us just happens to be your commanding officer, who is confused and frustrated and angry at what looks to be a first-degree failure of basic intel work last night. So sit down, Pritchard, and walk me through this mess again. Gabe sat. Frank sat. Well? I screwed up, Gabe said. Frank lifted his clipboard with a typed report. Officer Toms praises your work on the handoff. The potential asset enjoyed the game, one big, for which I'm sure accounting will thank you. And then the pair of you skipped off to a nice smoky bar for the final pitch. He turned the page. At which point, Toms continues, the, let's just say high value target, whom we have spent, and you have spent six months and significant departmental resources developing, emerged from the bar spooked and shaking, which are not, in my professional opinion, words I would use to describe a successfully recruited asset. Would you agree, sir, I... Would you agree, Pritchard? Yes, sir, I would agree. Those are not words I would use to describe a successfully recruited asset. Nor would I describe what I did last night as successfully recruiting Drahomir Milovich. What would you describe it as? I screwed up, sir. It's in the report. Frank turned the page. The report indicates that you suffered, and I quote, an intense headache during the pitch. That you took suddenly ill and asked the asset to leave rather than placing yourself in a situation where the two of you might appear on hospital records together. That's the shape of it, 
Yes, sir. You're looking well today, Pritchard. It was a 24-hour bug, sir. I thought I could keep it together for the op. You went into a delicate recruitment op, which we've been planning and prepping for months, sick. I was feeling off yesterday morning. I didn't want to cancel at the last minute. It could have made us look bad. Frank threw the clipboard on the desk, folded his hands, and leaned across toward Gabe. Friends cancel on friends all the time because they're sick. We could have changed the schedule. This week, next week, makes no difference. But you got to the pitch and you blew it. Best case scenario, Milovich is just worried about you. Worst case, which is likely, he knows you were trying to set him up for something and he's worried about us. With respect, sir, I know this is bad. I'll make it right. Over a few months, during which we could have used you on other targets. I know, Gabe said. I'm sorry. I've had a lot on my plate recently. A lot on your plate? Frank's eyebrows rose, as if he'd never heard those words in that precise combination before. A lot on your plate? Boy, you've been dropping more balls than a drunk juggler. My girls have a Labrador. You know, those big dogs with the floppy ears? I'm familiar with the breed, sir. Now, I've known smart dogs in my time, and this is not one of those. When I throw a stick, she'll run in the opposite damn direction. But my girls love their dumb dog, and because I love them, I love her too. I don't mind that the dog can't do what the damn thing's bred for, because I don't need it to. But I don't have room for two pets in my life. Whatever unscrewed your head at Cairo Station, you'd best get it screwed back fast. I took you on because Killarney said you needed a change of venue, that you were a good officer, and I've seen some shades of that. But you better show me more than shades soon. There are boys dying for the chance to prove themselves here. We're on the front lines of the Cold War. We are in the no man's land. His eyes met Gabe's. And the no man's land is no place for someone whose head is not in the game. I understand, sir. Gabe's heart beat fast, but his voice, at least, he kept level. I'll get it under control. I'll do whatever it takes to land the asset. Damn right you will. One more screw-up, and there's no way in hell I'm letting you touch Anchises next month. Leave it to me, Chief. Frank pulled the report from the clipboard's jaws, opened a desk drawer, and dropped the papers in a file. Show me what you can do, Pritchard. Get this done. Without looking, he slammed the drawer shut. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Tanya rushed through the Soviet embassy's hallways. Sleep-crusted eyes squinted against the harsh morning sunlight. 
the worst sort of January day, inexcusably cold and unforgivably bright. Last night's encounter with the host and the construct still rattled around her thoughts. It had been a perfect pitch. She'd laid out precisely why the flame posed a danger and why the girl needed the ice to keep her safe. But it had been too much to swallow, Tanya feared. The girl needed time to regain her footing. And then there'd been all the paperwork for the ice afterward, prepping the report, picking through the construct's pieces for clues, and, of course, strategizing how they'd explain to their superiors that they hadn't persuaded the host, Andula, her name is Andula, to turn herself over to ice protection. But the girl would come in from the cold, Tanya told herself. They always did once they saw just how determined the flame was, just how cruel their methods. None of it mattered, though, the moment she walked through these corridors. Here, she was the Kaje Bejnik Andula had accused her of being. When she was here, there was no room in her mind for anything else to matter. Her grandfather had pulled countless puppet strings to land her this prestigious assignment in Prague the sort of post every ambitious officer's school graduate would happily claw her eyes out for, and she couldn't show one ounce of weakness. We need you in Prague, he'd said. It's vital to our success. She just laughed. <laughs> for the ice or for the party? He hadn't answered her for a long time. The tightness around his eyes had begun to frighten her. He'd always been that rarest of breeds, the unserious Soviet, the carefree true believer. Both, if you can, he'd said, finally. But in this, you must put the ice first. She hadn't believed him then, still didn't want to now. Tanya shoved open the door to the concrete residentura vault, buried like a tainted piece of evidence in the embassy's basement. Heads snapped up at her entrance, 18 minutes late, including, she noticed with a scowl, Nadia's. Hadn't Nadia said something about heading to the bar, even after they'd finished up well past one? Tanya ducked her head and made her way down the swaying, clanking metal staircase, feeling the heat of every single one of her colleagues' stares. No encrypted cable messages from Moscow awaited her. No updates on her grandfather. No word from KGB headquarters or from anyone else. She spun the dial to unlock her file safe and started to dig through the folders inside, but already knew what they'd all contain. A couple of surveillance shots of suspected CIA and MI6 officers, none particularly damning. Some of the people she was developing for recruitment, Mostly university students who might someday, eventually, inform on their capitalist-leaning peers. A few handsy businessmen, and the dossiers on a couple of maids who might, if their third cousins were to be believed, might clean the American ambassador's home. They were Nadia's potential agents, really. As her supervising officer, Tanya had encouraged her to pursue contacts at the university for some easy recruitments to get her initial numbers up. Their encounter with the host the night before played through Tanya's mind again. A university student herself, Andula Zlata, 
Tanya scribbled the name into a new information request form. She'd check KGB records first. Then, if she couldn't find anything there, she'd run it by the Czech Secret Police Service, the STB. Andela had agreed to meet with them in two days' time, after she'd had enough time to mull over Tanya's pitch. But if the flame was already on her tail, it never hurt to be prepared. Morozova. Residentura Chief Alexander Komietsky loomed in his private office's doorway. A word, please. Tanya dropped the form on her desk and shuffled toward his office. Nadia met her eyes as Tanya passed her. Tanya gave her the faintest shake of her head. Chief Komietsky, Sasha, as he insisted, even the most junior officers call him, in the spirit of socialist equality, was already seated at his desk when Tanya entered. A brutally sheared bonsai tree occupied one third of his desk, while a variety of chessboards covered shelf space, a few side tables, and two chairs. Sasha acknowledged her with a nod, but didn't motion to the sole unoccupied seat as he rolled his own chair toward one of the chessboards farther afield. He clenched a scrap of cable traffic in his fist. Tanya's heart leapt at the sight of it. Word from Moscow? An update on her grandfather's condition, perhaps. Sasha squinted at the paper, rubbing his free hand against his jowls. After a moment's consideration, he changed to squinting at the chessboard instead. Ah! His whole face glowed as he slid his knight into position and struck out the unseen opponent's bishop with a click. Tanya's shoulders drooped. Of course. One of his countless games of correspondence chess with his chums back at Lubyanka and the residenturas across the globe. She shifted her weight and waited. Officer Morozova. Sasha turned his wire-thin smile on her. I thought it was time that we discussed your goals in Prague Station, specifically that you are not meeting them. Tanya felt her throat harden like ice, holding back all the objections she wanted to make. I, I recruited over a dozen agents in my two years in Madrid, she finally managed. One of them was a British Royal Air Force attaché, he gave us, gave us vital information on NATO discussions. So you did. Sasha wheeled past her, making his way toward another board. It's not even been two years since the Soviet tanks rolled into Prague to crush the rebellion, Tanya said, panic raising her tone. The people are deeply distrustful of us. We have few friends amongst the Czechs. All the issues my other officers face, Sasha said with a wave of his hand. Tanya clenched a fist at her side. I graduated top of my class at the academy. Top marks at Moscow State's graduate program. Yes, yes, and we all know your family's credentials as well. Sasha settled another chess piece into place. But what are you doing for me here in Prague? Tanya's teeth clicked together. It, she swallowed hard, trying to vanquish the desert in her mouth. It takes some time, sir, to familiarize myself with the new environment. 
We face far more hostility from the Western services here than we did in Madrid. But I'm building, building relationships. I have several developmentals in progress. She glanced down. I understand that the CIA station chief is aggressively thwarting our pitches, and I don't want to get over eager without taking the necessary precautions. But you are correct, comrade. I will do better. The click of another piece falling. Everyone knows what a Morozov is capable of accomplishing. I know you will live up to your name. The smile that shoved at Sasha's chubby cheeks sent a chill down Tanya's spine. He wheeled back behind his desk and gestured to a board on the far corner. All the pieces were lined up in starting position. Come, Morozova, sit. Would you like to play? Tanya hesitated, fingers curling around the top of the empty chair. She was fairly sure she had won too many games running at the same time as it was. Two sharp knocks rang on Sasha's office door. Then the door swung open. Izenita, Comrade Kolmietsky. I was looking for, ah, uh, for Comrade Morozova. Nadia cracked a wide grin. I have the information you requested on the university student you're developing. You know, the one you think is ready to be persuaded. Tanya took her hand off the back of the chair she'd been about to sit in. The university students were Nadia's to recruit, but the tension in her partner's smile was growing by the second. Oh, oh yes, of course. Thank you, comrade. She hurried toward the door. Come, I'll show you how to study a developmental's dossier if you like. A good opportunity to prepare you to manage your own cases. They had been most helpful, as long as Chief Komietsky is finished. Nadia added, with a shy glance toward Sasha. His lips rolled into a smirk. Go on, my dear, we were only having a little chat. As soon as they were out of Sasha's hearing range, Tanya rounded on Nadia. Please, this is your developmental. I can't just take it from you. You need to boost your recruitment numbers to get Sasha off your back. Besides, you're the boss. You have priority, around here anyway. Nadia cracked her gum with a grin. After we're done with the dossiers, I think we should both spend some more time at the university library, check up on our new friend. Tanya scooped up the information request she'd filled out earlier. Andula Zlata. My thoughts precisely. She reached into her pocket and closed her hand around the bit of crystal she'd scavenged from the construct. And then I'd like to do some research of our own. Jordan picked up her phone on the seventh ring and didn't miss a beat when Gabe said, introduce me. Nor did she look up from the bar when he entered the Vodnar that night, snow melting on his overcoat. Smoke burned his eyes. He peeled off his gloves and folded them in his coat pocket as he descended into the dark. In the corner, behind a pillar, the table to which he'd guided Drahomir last night. Gabe draped his coat over his arm. A man sat in the booth, reading. 
blonde and long and pretty, a fencer or gymnast gone soft with age. He wore a tweed jacket and a silk tie, either of which Gabe would have bet cost more than his own present wardrobe in its entirety. When the Brit saw Gabe, he closed the book, The Star's My Destination. Gabe had never heard of it, maybe poetry or something, and smiled with the furthest corners of his lips, not bearing teeth. A spark in the man's blue eyes suggested merriment or larceny. Good evening, dear chap. Please. He extended one hand palm up across the table. Gabe sat. A drink appeared at his elbow. Jordan says you're the man to see. Very right. The Brit didn't look much older than Gabe himself, a handful of years at most, but his voice suggested otherwise. A put-on, Gabe thought, but maybe not, considering. This was a world inside the one he imagined he knew, with secrets of its own. I am certainly a man, and I've had scads of people eager to see me from time to time. I'm Gabe Pritchard. Alistair Winthrop. The man's handshake felt firm, not strong, like he was made from math rather than from muscle. Cultural attaché of Her Majesty's government. And I understand you're an analyst with the American Department of Agriculture, was it? Commerce, Gabe said. Oh, commerce, indeed. Winthrop folded his hands on the table. We do love our masks. Miss Reams did me the favor of arranging this meeting, but she left the details of your story imprecise, their relation up to your own discretion. I understand that your main interest tonight thrusts neither toward, shall we say, commerce nor culture, mine or anyone else's. Beyond that, I'm afraid you must be forthright, if I'm to aid you in any way, save offering the considerable pleasure of my after-dinner conversation. Gabe felt the cold glass in his hands and pondered walking out. He remembered Frank. He remembered Cairo. He stared into the light in Winthrop's eyes. Something went wrong in my head in Egypt, he said and Jordan thinks the ice can help. Well now, Winthrop unfolded his hands, laid them palm down on the table, and leaned in. Perhaps we can at that. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No, she was sent here anonymously. Uh Uh-uh, not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. 
Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? By the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? Every night. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.